0: Thank you. Everybody. you are listening to the latest episode of Reasonably Outrageous. I'm Matt Wyrick along with your co-host Blake Pace. Blake, on the day after his 23rd birthday, up and early 6:50 over in Nashville. <laughs> Somehow, you're awake and not hungover. Blake, how you doing, man? Happy birthday!
1: I'm good, thanks, man. And you—you you made me too old. I'm actually a little kid. I'm only 22. I just have a very—Are oh, you birthday. really? Oh, dude, it's such a—it's such a late birthday. I've always been the youngest of my friends. <laughs> I was the last guy to get my license. I was the last guy to turn 21, and yeah, I am. And,
0: and you're the shortest too, so it's really just. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks way. for
1: putting that in there. You know, I I'll just round. I, if I round up a few times, I'm basically six feet tall. So like a few times, it, yeah. I'm just I'm just rounding <laughs> once or twice or three times. We we will leave we'll leave my actual height as a mystery and just let whatever okay. it says on my license to be true. But uh, Fair. but but yeah. So uh, I did make it out alive. I, I did get some dinner and drinks with coworkers, which was fun. Had a lot of tequila, but yeah. Up early, and uh, you know, after this, we both got long days of work. So good start to our morning to at least get some fun. Uh, or get our blood pumping at least.
0: Yeah, the blood is definitely pumping. I don't know how excited I am to talk about the Mets and how well they've <laughs> been doing, but that's where we're gonna start here. Fifteen of seventeen for New York, a team that most people. Thought was out of it uh, heading into the month of August, heading into the month of July, heading into the month of June. We really haven't heard much of the Mets since early on in the season, uh, back when the NL East was a lot closer. Now that we've started to see a much clearer picture, we thought, okay, uh, we have the Braves at the top of the division. The Nats and the Phillies are in the wild card mix, and then the Mets and uh, Marlins are down at the bottom. But here we are with the Mets having gone on this insane run, saving somehow Mickey Calloway's job if they can pull this off, uh, and just kind of pulling off some miracle Mets move that uh, maybe we should have seen coming. But Blake, do you think this team, contenders or pretenders?
1: You know, I just love things in sports that really don't make sense to me, and this is one of the things that, you know, I, I just, you know, you sit back and enjoy because no one expected you know this stretch from the Mets, and especially you know they did make some moves at the deadline. They didn't trade away their you know some of their bullpen guys who thought could be on the move. They of course bring in Marcus Stroman uh, from the Toronto Blue Jays, who I desperately wanted to be a Yankee. Um, but yeah, they're sitting here. They're sitting pretty, just a game out of uh, the wild card spot. They do have to jump Milwaukee and St Louis to get in that second wild card spot. But man, they're also coming in on uh, on Washington, who's only a game above St Louis right now. So. You know, it's definitely a very fun time uh, for the New York Mets. And, you know, aside from the fact of the Mets just casually chanting Yankees suck during their games, I've loved, like, I've just loved watching this because it is really enjoyable when a team like this just comes out of nowhere um, at the end of the game. And it's like you say, baseball is just such a sport, it's such a hot and cold sport that once you get hot, you could carry that all the way to the postseason. Now, I will say, you know... If they were to make it into the postseason, you know, one of the things that I feel like we even talked about on our last episode was just the fact of how important starting pitching was for the postseason. And man, you know, (laughs) that's not a pretty bad lineup to have out there to throw out Syndergaard, Degrom, um, you know, Wheeler, Marcus uh, Marcus Stroman. Stroman. Like, if you, that's a great starting lineup to have uh, for a postseason team. Um, Now. For some reason, I, I I can't really fully say I'm invested in this team making a lot of noise in the postseason, but that's just because, you know, it, it's like saying that the Knicks are going to make the postseason It's just and do well in the postseason, I guess. You know, if they were to sneak in as an eight seed, I feel like all the hype would be there. You know, you go on a run like this and you end the regular season, well, there should be hope that you can carry that in the postseason, but I just feel like with how bad it can be sometimes for the Mets, I just feel like this has to come back down a little bit, and Man, if, if they make the wild card game, great, but you know, there's, there's a lot of good teams in that race that um, it's going to be interesting to see how they finish out.
0: Look, it's certainly exciting what the Mets have done, and I don't want to take it away from them. 15 of 17 is hard to do no matter what stretch of the season you're in early on, playing good teams, playing bad teams. But if we look at the teams that they have played during this stretch... The Pirates, they swept. The White Sox, they swept. The Pirates, again, they took two of three. The Marlins, they swept in four. And the Nats, they took two of three. The only team with a winning record during that stretch was the Nats, in which they took right. two of three and won on a walk-off after being down 6-3, entering the ninth on a blown save, and then won by one on Saturday before losing on Sunday. So, And in that entire stretch, only three games they won by more than three runs. So they were all relatively close games in which they did end up pulling out, but, you know, this is a team that really got off to a terrible start, entering this stretch 46-55 and 55 on the year, a negative run differential. They've certainly turned that number around. But let's look at who they play next. After this series with Washington, they open play today against the Braves, Braves for three. Then they go to Kansas City, and then you have Cleveland, Atlanta, the Cubs, the Phillies, the Nats, the Phillies again, the Diamondbacks, all throughout the month of September. Through, up through September fifteenth, okay. We're looking at that next month of play with only one series against a team currently under five hundred. That's a pretty tough stretch, uh, by any means, uh, for the Mets to pull through. Now, if this team really is for real, then you know they should expect to split uh, in that time. But. The Nats, relatively, you know, they're chasing the Nats in the wild card race right now. The Nats have a pretty light schedule up ahead. Um, and, you know, these are obviously other teams that they're going to have might have to be facing. The, the Cubs, for example, the Diamondbacks are in the thick of things. The Phillies, which they have two series against in that stretch. All those teams are teams that are in the wild card race as well. So these are just going to be monumental matchup after monumental matchup, and that can take a toll on a team, especially late in the season. You know, Not to say that the Mets haven't been performing to what we've been used to. I mean, Michael Conforto's been hitting the cover off the ball with 190, weighted runs created plus over this span. Jeff McNeil has been doing well. Wilson Ramos finally living up to that contract. we got Pete Alonso, who's been hitting uh, as well as he has all season. Then there's a guy like JD Davis who's really stepped up in that lineup. A 217 way to run Creative Press over this stretch. Uh, has five home runs. Is hitting 392 with an 804 slugging percentage uh, over that span. Pretty incredible stuff we've been seeing out of him. Um, you know, this is certainly a lineup that had the potential to do this. Um, maybe not in the way we're expecting. We, we thought guys like Jed Lowry and Robinson Cano might be anchoring the lineup at the start of the year. Both of them not playing right now, might not even be back for the year. Same with <laughs> like Brandon Nimmo. Um, so there's, there's certainly, you know, they had to have some guys step up. I don't think we were expecting this out of Jeff McNeil or Alonzo or even J.D. Davis uh, at the start of the year. But here we are, uh, August 13th, and they're you know playing integral roles in the hottest stretch that the Mets have had all season. So hard to take that away from them. But and, and as much as I might like that rotation, the playoffs, I just don't know if they're going to be able to come out of this next upcoming stretch uh, with a above 500 record intact.
1: Yeah, that schedule's that's a uh, an extremely difficult run to finish off your season, and you you would think maybe you know it, it's it you, what you could try and count on if you're the Mets is just riding that momentum train, um and seeing how it does because you know there's just a just the level of confidence that a streak like that puts in the team and and the manager it just it's one of those things that you can definitely rally around but then you know when you when you lose maybe a, when you lose your next series. You know when you when you lose two in a row or three in a row, how do you rebound from that and keep try and keep things alive? Um, it is going to be a very tough stretch. Um, and, and I agree with you. I just think it's going to be it's going to be extremely tough. Um, and you look at the race. I mean, Philadelphia and Arizona are only one game behind the Mets. Uh, San Francisco is a couple games behind, and they're you know with a losing record right now. Um, but you know you still have to jump a few cup a uh, few other teams to get in there. And so I, I do think it's going to be difficult for them. Um, but you know, who knows? Who knows? We we've seen a wild start already. We saw the wild walk offs that they've had during this run. It's been very enjoyable, and uh, you know, I wouldn't be up. I I would really enjoy it just from like a I know nothing. Like it, it just is one of those reminders that we we all really know nothing when it comes to sports, and <laughs> and and everyone talks about how just dysfunctional the Mets were all there's all season. You know, uh, all the controversy controversy they had they had excuse me jeez I just had like a cough and a burp at once uh, that did not feel good <laughs> but uh but yeah it's you know as as down as things had looked for the Mets this year and and you know some as confusing as the moves that they made at the deadline were they're right here just in in playoff picture, so you know we'll see how things wrap up but it's gonna be certainly a very interesting uh end to the season and a difficult road ahead for for New York.
0: Yeah, and I mean, a big problem for them early on in the season was the bullpen. And to the credit of most of the relievers on that team, New York has stabilized in the relief core, certainly. Uh, You've gotten some great performances out of guys like Robert Gisellman and Seth Lugo recently. Justin Wilson is pitching well. Obviously, they're going to need Edwin Diaz to turn things around. Yeah. I mean, he's been demoted from the closers role, so he'll be pitching in some lower leverage innings. But you know, if he can get back to what we were used to seeing out of him uh, prior to his trade over to New York, uh, back when he was with Seattle, then this could be a really dangerous unit out of the bullpen. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see how he turns things around, uh, whether or not Lugo, Gisalman, Wilson, those guys can keep things up, Familia. Um, he has a one five nine ERA during this stretch, um, but a 4.81 FIP. So, you know, they're not really sure if this is for real or if they're just getting a little bit lucky. Um, but their run differential up to plus 12. Now, that's not yeah. the best in the wildcard race right now. The Nats are at plus 48 and the Cardinals at plus 16, the two teams holding the spots right now. But the Brewers are at minus 20. You think, okay, maybe the Mets can leapfrog them. They're only a half game behind the Brewers. Phillies at minus 33. They're the team directly behind him. Then you got teams like the Diamondbacks, which only two and a half games out of the wildcard spot, plus 69 run differential. That's the best out of any team in the wildcard race right now. The Reds yeah. are at plus 38, and they're five <laughs> and a half games back. So, you know, maybe they go off, uh, turn things around, and go on a run. You never know. Um, right. There's a lot of teams that are just really closely packed together. I think right now, if you include teams that are currently either leading their division um, or in the wildcard race right now, we have two, four, five, six, seven teams within three games of each other uh, wow. in the wildcard race. Pretty incredible right now in the National League. Certainly not at the level of the American League. I've talked about this before, uh, how I-, I think the American League is a little bit more competitive and more fun to watch uh, mm-hmm. right now just because we have much better teams, I think, that are divvying it up. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the NFC uh, in football. Where yeah. the NFC has so many great teams, whereas the AFC has some great teams and then maybe some scrubs that are trying to sneak their way in. I think that's kind of what we're seeing in the AL and the NL right now. The AL just mm-hmm. has so many powerhouse clubs, and then in the NL, it's the Dodgers and the Braves and then everybody else. So, um, you know, it's it's certainly fun to watch and, and fun to. It's I've never gotten to see the Nats be part of a September struggle hmm. to make the playoffs. They've all, either always been out of it. Uh, or been so far ahead in the division that it really didn't matter how they played in September. They were just kind of going through the motions. So right. this is going to be exciting for me uh, to watch the NL. But um, certainly I think the AL has been the better of the two leagues this year.
1: Yeah. yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it's an exciting time, so buckle up for this wild card race.
0: Oh, yeah. All right, let's talk some football. Uh, oh, we're going yeah. to continue on. On in our series here, Uh, we did the NFC North last episode, you can check that out, that was on Thursday of last week, today is Tuesday, and we are continuing in our series with the AFC North, uh, a division that has been in the spotlight in several different ways between uh, its teams over the offseason. We had some exciting moves made by the Ravens, obviously the Browns are getting all the hype, the Steelers traded Antonio Brown. And then, of course, there's the Bengals who are falling deeper and deeper into the depths of the division. So let's let's go ahead and go from last year's standings. We'll go from lowest to highest. We'll predict the upcoming record, what we think they're going to have, and the three biggest storylines for the team heading into the season. Is that right, Blake? Am I missing anything? Yeah, that sounds good to me. All right, how about you kick us off here with the Bengals, a team that has seemed to be hovering around mediocrity for the better half of the past half decade. They move on from Marvin Lewis, hire a new head coach. Blake, what is your biggest storyline heading into 2019?
1: Yeah, well, the biggest storyline, you know, to me is that Marvin Lewis is no longer, you know, head coaching uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. And you bring in Zach Taylor, and this is going to be a really interesting uh, concept heading into this year in a few different situations where we talk about, you know, if you if you were cousins with Sean McVay, you got a head coaching job this season in the mm-hmm. NFL. That was the big joke: is that everyone that you know basically had you know worked under his staff, even for a brief stint, uh, was getting jobs elsewhere, getting promotions that maybe people were saying, you know, were undeserving, maybe not warranted. yet, and, and Zach Taylor is one of those guys. I mean, you know, he he's never even been a coordinator before; he was a quarterback coach. Uh, with Los Angeles and he was working with the play call. So I can't say that he hasn't, you know, had experience calling plays yet, but now he's got his own, he's got his own show. And I feel like that's such a, an overwhelming jump to make, um, how he handles that, how he's doing in camp so far. Um, it's, it's tough when you inherit a team that has talented players up and down the board, it's a little bit easier to get yourself comfortable. But as you know, as we look through the roster, there are very few players that are extremely that that pop off to you as exciting players to to um you know maybe build around. You know, aside from a couple guys, and I don't want to steal names because we'll probably talk about them later um, as we go through this list. But it it is going to be interesting to see how uh, Zach Taylor does in his first year, and you know, hopefully we can avoid situations where guys are put in bad situations. You know, you think of Steve Wilkes last year with the Arizona Cardinals, was only brought on for one season and was fired because he was in over his head. Are we going to see another situation like that with a coach that maybe got promoted too quick? And and it's not the coach's fault, it's, it's the organization's fault for not doing the research and understanding, okay, maybe this guy needs a little more time to move up in the ranks to head coach. Uh, a lot of pressure on Zach Taylor heading into this season.
0: Absolutely. And it's unfortunately with the injuries that they've had both on the offensive line and the receiving core, it's going to be a tough season for the Bengals. I don't think anybody expects Taylor to really, you know, surprise everybody and uh, put together a six, seven, eight win team. Um, That would certainly be nice for Cincinnati, but I think between the division that they play in uh, and the injuries that they've had and the roster that they have dealt. I mean, you know, it's just not a great situation and he's obviously where I'm going to start too. I think uh, Taylor being a, a Sean McVay clone, um, at least that's what they're hoping. Prototype. Uh, they're yeah. Getting out of him <laughs> prototype, whatever you want to call it. Um, it it's, It's setting the bar high for a guy who doesn't have a lot of experience. You mentioned he hadn't had any offensive coordinator uh, roles yet. He was an interim OC in 2015 after Ah. Joe Philbin was fired uh, in the Dolphins organization. Uh, That was a very disappointing year for Miami. But... He only was doing that for eight games, seven games, uh, and obviously didn't get to help build the offense, didn't get help to really put together the playbook. He was the quarterback's coach before that. So uh, this is really his first chance to take over an offense. So to an extent, you're right, this is a very different change uh, from what he's used to. A lot of guys will go through the ranks and uh, at least get some experience, even if they're not Play calling necessarily, you know they're helping build that offense out. They're helping, uh, you know, be an integral part of, of that planning prior to the season. He hasn't really done that uh, aside from working with the quarterbacks. Um, so yeah, I'm not necessarily super high on Zach Taylor. He's just honestly, I think of all the new head coaches, he's the biggest unknown. You I mean you look at guys yeah. like Cliff Kingsbury, we know what we're getting at least. You know, we know what kind of offense he ran in college, and uh, you know what he looks like he'd like to do with Kyler and everything in Arizona. We really don't know what we're going to be seeing out of the Bengals this year, and obviously with Andy Dalton and everything and and how that offense is continually disappointed despite having one of the best wide receivers of its generation, I I just don't have high hopes for this team in 2019.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to transition right off one of the, the names that you popped off there, and you said Andy Dalton. You know we're we're approaching what I believe will be his final season in Cincinnati, and there's two approaches for teams that are maybe looking for new quarterbacks this year, and there's kind of either a one-year tank or a two-year tank. Now, the options you have more options heading into this year. It's a big quarterback draft class when you've got um, the you know you've got the kid from Oregon, Justin Herbert. You've got Tua Tavaliola. I hope I said that close to enough. Uh, there's a, a lot of quarterbacks. Um, that if you have you know a top four pick, you're probably going to be selecting one of those quarterbacks. If you're you know a team that's in a situation where you need a franchise quarterback, and and as long as Andy Dalton has spent his career in Cincinnati, it's going to be a big year for him to to try and win a backup job somewhere else. I I, I don't know if there's going to be necessarily a situation where teams are going to bring him in. To be, uh, you know, the starting quarterback. Maybe it turns into a situation like a Ryan Tannehill, where you get traded to another team that maybe has an inconsistent quarterback, and you have them battle it out. And he's there as kind of a safety valve in case things go wrong with the starter. You know, there's going to be other jobs open. Maybe there's a, you know, a backup situation in Tampa. Um, there's other situations you could pull the Blake Bortles and backup, be a backup quarterback for a really good team, um, because then you're, you know, you're, you're providing. You know, one of the biggest safety valves is that it is a strong backup quarterback. You think of how important Nick Foles was to the Eagles a couple of years ago and even last year. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a big season for Andy Dalton to try and win another job in the NFL beyond this season. He definitely will be one of the most coveted uh, free agent quarterbacks if he's available. Um, and then for the, for the Bengals themselves, they either tank for this year in the hopes of being one of the four teams to get, you know, some of the top quarterbacks to come out of this draft or you take the rare chance that you think two years from now you can be the worst possible team in the league. And so you go for the two-year heavy tank. Maybe you try and pull off a, a Lions, you know, 0-16 uh, or a Colts 2-14 and 14 to get, uh, oh, God, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, the kid out of Clemson, um, the, the future godsend of the NFL. Um, what? Uh, oh, Sorry, what team? Trevor Lawrence, that's who I was thinking of. Yes. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence. He's he's going to be the godsend quarterback that everyone's going to want to tank for two years from now. But if you feel confident that you could be the absolute worst and maybe you hold on to Andy Dalton for one more season just to bring in Trevor Lawrence the following year, um, that could be another option too. But it does seem like Dalton's days in Cincinnati are winding down.
0: Well, he's just really not being put in a great situation, and I, I think that starts with the offensive line. Clint yeah. Bowling... Uh, The team's most accomplished veteran retires, uh, surprisingly, uh, prior to this season. Jonah Williams, their projected left tackle, out for the season. Billy Price, their top pick uh, from this this year, battled injuries last year. He's back on the injured list. You know, that's three of your starting offensive linemen that you went in uh, to basically two months ago thinking you were going to have and now are are scrambling to replace. Uh, And, of course, A.J. Green. Uh, Hurts his ankle out six to eight weeks. Theoretically could be back in time for week one, but if I'm the Bengals, I'm sitting right now thinking that we're probably not going to have him for the first month, at least not at full strength. Um, So really it's just going to be who's going to step up uh, on this Cincinnati offense. Can Tyler Boyd, who got the nice contract extension this offseason, step up and be a number one receiver in A.J. Green's absence, or is he just a compliment? We're going to get the chance to see that. Can Andy Dalton work with a depleted offensive line, I don't know. And, you know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of question marks about this team, even without these injuries, and now that you've just stacked them on, uh, the offense just, to me, uh, looks to be one of the worst in the NFL this year. Now, if, if we can have A.J. Green come back at full strength, that's definitely a boost. Um, but if I'm the, the, the Bengals, I need to prior, prioritize his health um, because, honestly, I think he's going to be a big trade candidate headed into the trade deadline midseason, and I could easily see him going to a team that needs help at receiver by the end of the year.
1: Gotcha. Very interesting. And yeah, you you talk about the situation that they're in in the offensive line. I mean, three years ago, this was a a pretty strong offensive unit, and then they've just traded away pieces that since then, you know, they've lost a few guys in free agency too, and, and you look at that, listen, even with the injuries they have, this could probably be if not the worst along the bottom, two or three offensive lines in football. So that's definitely going to be huge in protecting Andy Dalton, making sure Joe Mixon stays healthy because that's one of the few guys that I want to hold on to uh, extremely tightly. If I'm if I'm Zach Taylor, I want him to be my guy heading forward. Um, you know, my final topic with the Cincinnati Bengals just taking a look at their schedule. They're in a very tough division. They're clearly still at the bottom of that division. So all of those games are going to be extremely tough, whether on the road or at home. Um, but then, they, you know, they do have some winnable games in their schedule. They play Miami in Week 16. They play Arizona Week Five. Uh, they play the Jets at home. They play Oakland. But the, you know, tough schedules, and you got to play both Super Bowl uh, teams from last year. You play New England in Week 15. Los Angeles in week eight you've got you start off your season on the road in Seattle you have to play a team like San Francisco Jacksonville's a really good defense um, you know there are some winnable games in here for them and you know you, you don't expect them to lose every single game uh, but it is a it's a very difficult schedule
0: yeah I think you know for me it's it's where they are in the division right now in the trajectory uh, of this organization versus the trajectory of the other three and you could argue that the Steelers uh, might be in regression mode. Uh, you could argue that the Ravens might not be as good as where they were last year. But at the same time, you look at the rise of the Browns, you look at the Ravens who brought in Lamar Jackson, had a big offseason, signed a couple guys who we'll get into uh, when, we, when we get to the Ravens. Uh, and the Steelers still have, even when they lost their two best stars in Le'Veon and Antonio Brown, they still have Juju Smith-Schuster and James Conner, who stepped up great. Uh, in their absence, so I'm really not concerned uh, about any of those three teams. Whereas I'm so concerned about the Bengals and the state of the organization entering the year. I think this mm-hmm. is a year that they really bottom out and have to reassess their franchise.
1: Yeah, so you know we both agree they're probably still the bottom, you know, of of this league. You know, there's a very few amount of teams that you could definitely say are in that absolute worst teams in the league tier. Um, I have them finishing four and twelve. I think maybe there's a divisional game that they'll, they're able to take, um, you know, depending on where Miami is at by Week 16, Arizona in Week 5, maybe, you know, Oakland has another bad year and you can catch them on the road in Week 11. Uh, there are some winnable, like I said, there are some winnable games in this schedule. Um, you could take a team, uh, catch them off guard, but, you know, all things said, 4-12 and 12 season, uh, still in fourth place in the AFC North.
0: Yeah, I'm going with 3-13. and 13. I think they're just going to mm-hmm. get... Beat the crap out of them, uh, by the rest of the division all year. I can't see them beating either any of those three teams. Uh, excuse me, at either home or away. So for me, three and thirteen um, might be a little pessimistic. Uh, maybe they, they pull off a win or two here that we you know see. But you know, I think that every organization bottoms out at some point when they hang, hang around in that mediocrity zone, um, and and we're going to see it with the Vancouver this year. Mm-hmm. All right, moving forward, though, let's go up to the next team uh, who finished last year, 7-8-1. and one. That would be the Cleveland Browns, who entered Week 17 last year with just a sh- small, minuscule playoff hope. Obviously, did not come through. They needed a lot of things to happen for them to actually make it into the playoffs. Um, but that was the first time in a long time that the Browns have been even in the playoff discussion come Week 17, so... They have a big offseason, bringing in a few big names, and now we're looking at a completely remade Browns team, a new head coach. Blake, where are you starting off with Cleveland Browns?
1: Yeah, I mean, the big thing with the Cleveland Browns is just the massive roster turnover that they've had. And, you know, it's not even just the guys that they were able to bring in. They, you know, they add Kareem Hunt, who will be available after eight games. They bring in Morgan Burnett to help out with their safety uh, position. They bring in Odell, of course, and Olivier Vernon with two trades with the Giants. And then they also add Sheldon Richardson uh, in free agency. But not even just on that. You lose guys like Brashad Perryman. Uh, You lose EJ Gaines at corner. Emmanuel Ogba, who is now in uh, Kansas City. You trade away Jabril Peppers. You lose Jamie Collins. You lose one of your better offensive line pieces, Kevin Zeitler. Uh, Of course, backup quarterback with... uh, Terod Taylor is gone. Um, you know, it's tough to to get that um, going together uh, and get everything clicking right from the start. So I'd say that's you know of my concerns with the Browns, and I don't have too many. I guess um, it's just how quickly can everybody gel together? How quickly can Freddie Kitchens gain control of a locker room of a bunch of people that are playing together for the first time? And how quickly can they translate that to wins? Unfortunately, there are some. Uh, some easier games to begin your season and hopefully that can get the ball rolling for them. But you know, it just that much turnover uh, in, in one season is something that I would be a little concerned about.
0: Yes. Uh, I, I get that reservation, but I think this team has has too much talent uh, to, you know, to the point where their floor has to be a, a nine or 10 win season. Um, you know, we're looking at, Odell Beckham Jr., Kareem Hunt joining them after eight games. They already have Nick Chubb, who's a fantastic running back. Um, they even traded Duke Johnson just because they had so much running back depth uh, that they really didn't need him. Baker Mayfield took a big leap forward in the second half of the season last year. I'm expecting big things out of him. This offense, man, it's just fun. It, it's I'm so excited uh, for what the Browns are going to do this season, and I can't wait to watch them put it to, all together. I'm excited that the Saints played them last year. Um, and Hmm. aren't going to have to face him uh, for another three years, given that they're on the other side of the league. Uh, So I can just watch the Browns worry-free and not have to uh, stress about the Saints having to play them. I think this is a a, a fantastically put-together offense, uh, and I'm really excited for what uh, their potential can be. I think Odell is going to have a huge season. I think David Njoku takes a step forward, Baker Mayfield... Uh, puts together a, a great sophomore season. We start talking about him possibly in the MVP conversation. I'm I'm all in on this Browns offense. I think that Freddie Kitchens gelled with a lot of these guys last year. It's it's worked out well for them. They just decided to ride the hot hand and I think that was a great decision by that front office. I, I'm all in on the Browns.
1: Yeah, and I'm not I, I didn't want to bag on them too hard because I do think this is, you know, a very well structured team and I completely agree uh, the the success that they should have on offense. Really, the only concern I would have is maybe uh, production on the offensive line. I think that might be my only area where I'm a little bit worried. Um, especially when you you know you trade away one of your better linemen um, in Kevin Zeitler, You send him to New York in one of those deals, and you know you've got you've got a decent offensive line. I'm not going to say it's bad, but it's nothing to really brag about. Um, my my second point that I'm going to go to with the Browns is I loved their draft class, um, and, and you know. It was funny, one of my, two of probably my worst misses uh, when I was working over with the uh, draft book with uh, SB Nation two off-seasons ago, was I I really wasn't too high on Nick Chubb. Um, I I just thought with all the touches that he got in college, I thought he was going to be injury-prone, maybe... um, not going to perform that well, and he definitely proved me wrong. And, of course, if they hit it on the head with Denzel Ward. He was definitely one of the better. He was probably the best corner rookie. I mean, there was a couple guys out there. You get the guy in Green Bay um, out of Louisville. So there were a couple defensive backs, but Cleveland had a really good draft last year. They followed up this year with being able to get Greedy Williams in the middle of the second round, who people were talking about might be the top corner. A lot of people were taking away the fact that Cleveland... You know, weighted 46 picks and got the best corner. Then you go back in round five and you get Mac Wilson out of Alabama, very talented linebacker. And in I, linebacker, maybe if you're looking at their defense, was maybe one of their thinner positions. Uh, they've got Kirksky and, and Shober at the starting positions most likely. Be bringing Mac Wilson, he'll be a good depth piece that maybe could even build up to a starter at the end. Um, I was a big fan of their draft class. You know, just adding in depth at other positions. They definitely wanted to put a heavy emphasis on the secondary, taking two corners and a safety with all their picks. Of course, they didn't have the first round pick because of the Odell trade. But um, overall, a very good draft. And and I I think it's just it's continuing to set up this team for uh, future success. (coughs) Excuse me.
0: Yeah, for me on the defensive side, I think the most important thing is, is a secondary pass rusher behind Miles Garrett. He led the team last year with 13 and a half sacks. Nobody else on that defense had more than five and a half so they bring in Olivier Vernon who was with the Giants last year at seven uh on the year but 21 quarterback hits is had a pro bowl appearance before uh among the better in fact it was last year that he was a pro bowler um has been has played defensive end of the past switched back to outside linebacker last year but will be coming back up to the front line in the trenches um so I'm excited for what he can do. Obviously, he's in his age 29 season, so certainly getting up there in age a little bit for a defensive end. Um, So he'll have to stay healthy. That'll be the most important thing. Um, Has been a bit of an issue in recent years. Only played 12 games, 2017, 11 games last year, Uh, whereas Garrett – played all 16, so they're going to need the two of them to stay healthy. That's going to be so important. Obviously, you have Greedy Williams, Denzel Ward, that secondary. Uh, You feel really good about that, but I think that secondary pass rusher is going to be really important for the Browns for that defense to take a step forward.
1: Definitely, and you, you hope Vernon can be that guy, Certainly. Um, my, my last thing with the Browns is that, you know, you take a look at their schedule. There's only one stretch that really scares, scares me at all. And that's between weeks three and eight, uh, you play the Rams at home, but then you've got to travel for two games against Baltimore and San Francisco. We talked about, you know, way back, uh, when this podcast started, we could see San Francisco making one of the biggest, uh, leaps in the win column. Then they play Seattle. They have their bye week. And then week eight is against the Patriots on the road. That's going to be a pretty tough stretch. Um, they do start off their season against the Titans and the Jets, so two wins probably get them comfortable. But as long as they can make it through that stretch and maybe even go 3-2 and two if they're to lose to the Rams and Patriots, or even 2-3, and three, that's not that bad of a stretch because then weeks 9-17 through 17 you get to play the Broncos, the Bills, the Dolphins, the Bengals twice, and the Cardinals. So that's going to be a very easy way to coast into the end of the season. I think it plays a huge role in how their season shapes up.
0: For me, I think the last thing I want to touch on is Kareem Hunt and how he's going to be mixed into that offense. Obviously, he added a huge element in the receiving game, uh, and Nick Chubb is going to be the bell cow back here in Cleveland. So when Kareem Hunt comes in, what exactly does that do to Nick Chubb's playing time? I feel like Chubb is still going to be uh, not an every down back. Maybe they bring in Kareem Hunt on third downs and passing downs, Um, but Chubb you know, 20 receptions last year and 29 targets, you know, played 16 games, but only nine starts. So take that as you will, but only two touchdowns, 9.3 uh, yards per game. You know, that's really not uh, adding a whole lot in the passing game. So I think Kareem Hunt just adds that other dimension where we're going to see, I think we could see some two running back sets with both of them uh, mm-hmm. back in the backfield. And, um, you know, obviously this team has the potential to throw it deep with guys like Jarvis Landry and Odell and Richard Higgins, who's, Fast as hell has been really uh, impressive so far in camp I think he's going at break camp as the number three wide receiver on that depth chart um, which I'm excited about um, he's been a lot of fun to watch so far but I think Con I mean if, if he is the guy that he was in Kansas City and can add that element to the passing game that we've seen him do time and time again I mean you know he's still so young I mean, mm-hmm. right now it's he's going to be in an age 24 season. Uh, he has his career ahead of him. Uh, obviously, the Browns really lucked into the situation that had put him on this team in the first place, and he has to serve that eight-game suspension um, and everything. But I, I think once he is back on the field and ingrained in this offense, man, I, I can't tell you what this team is capable of because there's just so many ways they can attack you. Uh, and if Freddie Kitchens is willing to be versatile and change up his offensive game plan from week to week, I think this team can be really dangerous.
1: Yeah, this is certainly one of the more exciting teams in the NFL. and um I, I do believe that they definitely pull off a much better season than last year. Of course seven and uh <clears throat> seven and nine isn't isn't bad at all, or was it seven eight and one you were saying?
0: It was seven
1: eight and one, yeah. Seven eight and one, yeah. So, you know, I've got them jumping in the win column, I've got them going up to ten and six. Um, I do think that, you know, there are some losable games that you know, you lose to the Rams and the Patriots, maybe you lose to a, a very talented Seattle Seahawks defense. Uh, maybe you split the series with Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Um, I was gonna go into the 11 and 5 range. Maybe to the I, I didn't think about going 12 and 4, but I feel comfortable putting them at 10 and 6. Um, I do think this is you know a team that really came out of the scene in the second half of the season and should you know got they, they didn't get worse. Uh, they certainly got a lot better uh, this past <laughs> offseason. Uh, so 10 and 6, and I've got them uh, tying at the top of the AFC North.
0: I have them tying atop the AFC North as well, but at 12-4, and four, uh, oh I think this team is a little bit better than you might be giving them credit for. I do agree that there are going to be some growing pains, uh, and that's why I'm not looking at 13-3, and 14-2 and two type season. Uh, certainly, they're on the way up, and I don't think this is the year that we see them reach their peak, uh, given the way that this roster is constructed. This core is going to be around for at least another two, three years before mm-hmm. players start leaving via free agency. So, you know, this is not necessarily the year we might be expecting them to go all the way, but it's certainly a year where we talk about, okay, have they put themselves among the AFC elite? I think absolutely that that room that we've seen, you know, in, in last year, it was really just the Chiefs and the Patriots, in my opinion, as the two teams atop the AFC, and then everybody else, somebody to put a put the, some people might have put the Texans in there. They almost had a uh, buy in that first round. They just needed a couple of things to go their way, but I don't think the Texans are necessarily at that level. Um, I do think that the Browns can get into that conversation where they're clearly in that top tier of teams in the AFC.
1: Yeah, certainly. You know, It's going to be a big season, um, certainly, for Cleveland, and we both have them tying above the top, so I'm excited to see what other team we have up there. Um more so just from the side of I feel like it's going to be hard for two teams in the division to do that. Well, I know we talked about Kansas City and Los Angeles both ended up at 11-5, and 12-4 range, so it certainly can be done. Um, but, yeah, it, it's going to be a really tough uh, tough battle for the top of this division. I'm excited to see where we've got these other two teams finishing out.
0: All right, now we get into the teams that had winning records in the AFC North last year, starting with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who finished 9-6-1. and Uh, At the end of the year, just on the outside of the playoff picture, we thought that they might uh, be a team that could get in there. The Browns, obviously, were facing the Ravens in Week 17. If the Browns had won that game, the Steelers would have been in as the division leader. Obviously, the Baltimore Ravens won that game. They got the dance enter the dance and the Steelers had to go home uh, for what seems like the first time in a while the Steelers have been perennial playoff contenders obviously Ben Roethlisberger has been a big part of that what is the biggest storyline for you Blake heading into 2019 with the Pittsburgh Steelers
1: yeah just fewer headaches you know <laughs> I feel like that's just you know you're heading into a season where there isn't as much you know controversy or you know um, just talking points around the Pittsburgh Steelers. It seems very calm and relaxed. AB is now putting his problems on the West Coast. Le'Veon Bell is is trying to start anew in New York. Um, so for Pittsburgh, it just has to feel just better in the locker room heading into a season. Especially if you if you're Mike Tomlin, who's been there for twelve years. You know to to enter the season, and I feel like it's been every preseason. For the last several years, we've talked about you know whether it's Antonio Brown complaining about Big Ben, Le'Veon talking about sitting out, his problems with the team. Um, it, it's going to be just a very fresh start, but they're still in a great position uh, to win football games this season. So I think the biggest storyline is, is fewer headaches um, for the Pittsburgh Steelers.
0: Absolutely, and I, I think they're just looking at Oakland right now laughing. I mean, <laughs> after everything they went through yeah. with – AB being a headache with Le'Veon being a headache they finally just can move on with guys like James Connor and Juju Smith-Schuster who have been fantastic ambassadors for the team since coming on um, it, it could not be more big of a turnaround personality wise uh, from what they had before but my my biggest thing right now is who's going to be the number two wide receiver in Pittsburgh uh, this season it is such a, a fun training camp battle to watch I think maybe the biggest Uh, in all of football right now. Juju Smith, Schuster, obviously the number one, but behind him you have guys Dante Moncrief uh, who came over in from Jacksonville, a guy you know well, Blake, uh, having been with the Colts for several years. Uh, James Washington, the second-year pro, who didn't necessarily have a great year last year, only played 14 games, six starts, 217 yards and a touchdown, Um, but he's been making some impressive plays so far in camp and had a great... Uh, first preseason game almost pulled in a second touchdown was just out of bounds um, but had a a fantastic day in his own right and then the rookie Deontay Johnson third round pick they're expecting him to be part of in the mix of things however he has had an injury to start camp um, so he's having to work back from that so right now the the Perennial, the favorite appears to be Dante Moncrief. We've been getting rave reviews out of camp all offseason, uh, but Washington has, in his own right, uh, done very well, had that mm-hmm. great preseason game. He's been doing pretty well, too. I think it's a heated battle. It looks like the two of them are going to be the number twos and number three receivers, although neither really necessarily. Washington's only 5'11, so maybe he fits in at the slot. You put Moncrief on the opposite side of Juju, Moncrief being at 6'2. Um, But, you know, I I think who gets more of the the receptions this year? I'm leaning toward Washington. I mean, you know, he came in uh, a second-round pick last year, drafted 60th overall. Uh, You know, he had some high expectations coming in last year. Certainly, they thought he was going to be the number three receiver behind A.B. and Juju and didn't necessarily fill that role but you know coming into the year coming into the nfl as a receiver is is one of the toughest things to do the game is just so much faster the the dbs hit so much harder uh going over the middle of the field like a slot receiver that washington is profiles as at least you know being that guy that's over the middle of the field a lot uh is a daunting task uh to ask of any guy never mind somebody who's 22 years old so I, i see him taking a big step forward in his second season we just Uh, I feel Mm -hmm. like we've seen a lot from Moncrief as a rotational receiver. He hasn't necessarily been a full-time starter uh, in his career. Did start 14 of 16 games for Jacksonville last year, but then again, it was for Jacksonville. Uh, Only had 668 yards, three touchdowns uh, with Blake Bortles slash whoever else was rotating in (laughs) uh, at that quarterback position all year. So uh, I'm leaning toward Washington as having the bigger year, but Moncrief seems to have the edge right now. Uh, for more care, more touches or receptions, excuse me, uh, when the season begins.
1: Yeah, and you're, you're stealing my thunder a little bit on this second one because I'm also going to talk about James Washington. And, and I do believe, you know, Dante Moncrief... He's in a good position to get a lot of touches, you know. With his big frame, he's going to be a big red zone target for the Steelers. And he, and you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, it's going to be interesting to see with him where he primarily lines up because his entire career so far in Pittsburgh has been dominating uh, through the slot position. And of course, when you have a guy like AB on the outside, that opens up a lot in the middle. So now, do you move Juju to the outside? Where do you put James Washington? But where I was going with my second big topic. Is there are two breakout candidates on this offense for me. One is James Washington. I think that he is going to be the next big wide receiver to come out of Pittsburgh. And then the other is Vance McDonald at tight end. Um, you know there, there's a, a an interesting gap, uh, you know, in the tight end position now that Gronk is gone. You've got your Ertz, you've got your George Kittles, you've got Travis Kelsey, who's probably the best of all three, and I would put them in the top tier of tight ends. But I really think with the Opportunities that are going to be available on offense, Vance McDonald is going to be in consideration for a top five tight end type season uh, coming into this year with Pittsburgh. There's just a lot of open touches available. If you do move Juju to the outside and he's primarily working out there, that should open a lot in the middle. For guys like Vance McDonald, uh, of course, James Washington, if you put his smaller frame into the slot as well. Um, but James, you know, Pittsburgh is so good at drafting wide receivers. I don't think there's a, a team in the NFL that's better at finding uh, the right picks. I mean, of course, even even a guy like... Um Martavis Bryant, who had his troubles off the field that really didn't help him out, a very talented wide receiver. They've hit, you know, consistently when they've drafted at the position. I think Washington is poised for a stellar season uh, with Pittsburgh, and I also would say Vance McDonald is going to have one of those seasons where you're looking at his stance by the end of the year, and you're you're giving him, you know, Pro Bowl votes. Uh, you're you're giving him consideration for you know one of the better tight ends in this league.
0: And Before we move on from the wide receiver discussion, I think it's important to mention that the Steelers have been fantastic at drafting wide receivers, but a big reason for that has been their wide receiver coach, Daryl Drake, Ah, uh, who died two days ago uh, at the age of 62. He was played an integral role in developing a lot of those guys. Uh, Juju released a statement about it. Said he was it was the coach he was closest to. Uh, or no, this was Antonio Brown. Said he was never closer to a coach than he was with Drake uh, in his entire football career. So you know he obviously played an integral role in that, and it's going to be something to watch uh, how the receivers do this year and whether or not losing Drake is going to be a, a big uh, you know stab in the heart for them. Uh, they're going to be playing with a bit of a chip on their shoulder to to prove uh, that you know do that for him, do it for Drake, um, but we'll be see you know whether or not that proves mm-hmm. to be a problem uh, moving forward. Now on the defensive side, I think the biggest thing for them is Joe Hayden. Uh, they don't really have necessarily a number one corner. I don't, wouldn't call Hayden a number one anymore. He you know back when he was with Cleveland and uh, defending. Uh, 18 19 20 passes a year you know reeling in a couple of interceptions we were talking about him as one of the best corners in football I don't think we've had that conversation in recent years with him especially since he's come over to Pittsburgh and a big reason for that has been injuries. since 2015 he's played five games 13 games 11 games and 15 games never played a full season obviously had 15 last year but is dealing with an ankle injury right now was carted off the field just last week Uh, appears to be okay uh, should be fine for the start of the year Um, Mm -hmm. but I think his health at this age 30 season is something to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, definitely. That, that back end of the defense will be interesting. The front seven is very talented. Uh, as long as they can keep everything safe in the secondary, they should be uh, very, very uh, consistent on defense. And when you look at their schedule for my final topic, um, not too much worries me. You know, Pittsburgh always, you, you got your game against New England. Um, they're going to play on the road to start off things week one on Sunday night football. But then you go and you play against the Seahawks, the 49ers. Uh, you've got tough games against the Chargers, the Colts and the Rams all within the first 10 weeks and not to mention in weeks 11 and 13 uh, there's going to be some very um interesting games with the Cleveland Browns and to see where both of those teams are heading into week 11 and 13 uh, those are going to be some some very um intriguing games to see how playoff positioning works out who can take the advantage in the division in case of you know a, a tiebreaker situation um but yeah, I, I, the, the second half of the schedule, you get to play teams uh, like Cincinnati, Arizona, Buffalo, and the Jets. Uh, I think that's a very easy way to get comfortable, maybe even get a chance to rest up some of your players before heading into the postseason, because I do think that this is a playoff team we've got here with Pittsburgh.
0: Yeah, and my third topic kind of goes off of what you talked about first is what is the Steelers team without the headaches? You know, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously the Le'Veon Bell situation was a massive distraction for this organization throughout the entire year. Antonio Brown quit on the team uh, when they were in the middle of a playoff race uh, right at the end of the year. That was obviously a distraction for that locker room. Ben Roethlisberger having to come out and make comments about it. All of that was just detracting from what what was going on on the field. It felt like we couldn't even enjoy James Conner's fantastic rookie season uh, because he was just overshadowed by the lack of Le'Veon in in every week we're saying you know is Le'Veon going to report is Le'Veon going to report and it never ended up happening now we can just focus on the talent that's on the field the players can focus uh, on winning football and I'm really excited for what that Steelers team can do uh, and I think we're in for a big year for them
1: yeah, so I'm gonna get right to my prediction. They are the team that I have tying with Cleveland atop the division at 10 and six. Those week 11 and 13 matchups are going to be pivotal in deciding who actually wins the division, which team has to you know fight for that wild card spot. I do believe both teams end up getting in uh, to the postseason, but I've got the Steelers finishing 10 and six, tied atop the AFC North.
0: I've also got them tied atop the AFC North. Me going with 12 and four. Um, I think that they're just a team top to bottom has been there, done that. I mean, obviously yeah. the Steelers have had quite uh, a playoff resume, and you know they haven't won a, a Super Bowl in a while. They never did do it with A.B. or Le'Veon, uh, but they have a guy like Ben Roethlisberger at the helm, Mike Tomlin, who's been there before, uh, those kind of guys who can be leaders in the locker room and guide this team back to the postseason. <coughs> There's no doubt in my mind that the Steelers, uh, who did not make the playoffs last year, won't be back again. We'll be back again. How did I say it? I don't know. All right. Well, that, that'll that be, uh, that's the end of the Steelers. Let's go ahead and talk Ravens now, the team that won the division last year in that Week 17 game against the Browns. They finished 10-6 on the year, winning out three straight games before going uh, into that really tough uh, playoff game in which Lamar Jackson struggled for the first three quarters before finally lighting it up in the fourth. Ultimately, though, the Ravens were eliminated, uh, ending their season, and kind of causing a lot of turnaround uh, in in that locker room in terms of what we saw the offseason, uh, the front office do. Blake, what is the biggest storyline for you heading into the year for the Ravens?
1: Yeah, it's just all those guys that they lost. And, you know, uh, you know, you lose guys on the offense. Jeremy La- Macklin retires. Ty Montgomery goes to the Jets. You know, not too many losses on the offensive side. I mean, you do lose, you know, John Brown too. But shaping up on the uh, defensive side, C.J. Mosley, Eric Weddle, Uh, Terrell Suggs, Darius Smith, who's now in Green Bay, Um, and and in turn, you replace them with bringing in Earl Thomas, Uh, you bring in Justin Bethel at corner, Uh, you bring Pernell McPhee in, and Shane Ray at the linebacker position. A lot of moving pieces on the defense as well. They are consistently one of the better defensive teams, and the best, probably one of the better uh, defensively coached Uh, teams in the league, even though uh, their defensive coordinator is just going into his second year. John Harbaugh has done an extremely well job coaching up this defense, but it will be interesting to see how the new pieces uh, shape up. You also add Jalen Ferguson Ferguson at at the edge position uh, in the third round. Uh, You take Iman Marshall out of USC in round four, and Dalen Mack out of Texas A&M. Good depth pieces, at least for the first season moving forward. a lot of pieces on defense. It'll be interesting to see how they're able to keep the consistent uh, defensive effort that we've seen out of Baltimore for the last five, seven years.
0: And, you know, what, what comes often comes with a great defense is smash, smash yeah. running back. Uh, and that's exactly what they got in Mark Ingram, a uh, player I'm excited about fitting into this system. Uh, the Ravens were one of the most run heavy teams in the NFL last year Um Obviously, having a running quarterback in Lamar Jack- Jackson helps those numbers, but they did often turn to their running backs as well. Um, but I'm also excited for Gus Edwards, too. I think this running back room is deep. Uh, you know, Obviously, they lose Alex Collins. He's waived after the arrest, breaks his leg. He's gone uh, from Baltimore altogether and, and maybe even the NFL for a while, uh, despite leading the team in touchdowns last year with seven uh, in addition to 411 yards. But he had 114 carries last year. That's going to be divvied up. Um, obviously Ingram's coming in uh, with the big contract. He's going to be taking up a lot of those carries, but I think Gus Edwards is going to play a major role as well. He actually led the team in rushing last year at 718 yards, only 23 more uh, than Lamar Jackson, so despite only playing 11 games, six starts. So I'm, I'm excited for what this running back uh, committee does. I don't think necessarily we're going to be seeing Ingram as carrying that offense uh, mm-hmm. as far as the running game goes, like a lot of people are expecting. I mean, he's getting up there in age. I like Gus Edwards. He's only 24. I think he's going to be playing a big role, and I'm excited for what he does out of the running back uh, position.
1: Yeah, and complementing that run offense, I mean, what are we going to see out of Lamar Jackson? Uh, What kind of season is this going to be at the quarterback position for him? Uh, John Harbaugh said to bet the over uh, with whatever Lamar Jackson's (laughs) rushing attempts are for this season. Uh, He said that a couple weeks back, which I thought was very interesting. They plan on using him in the run game uh, frequently. (laughs) Is is there, you know, is to say the least, and the you know the the receiving threats aren't too. Uh, exciting um, for this offense. Uh, you know, Willie Sneed coming out of the slot. Uh, you got Marquise Brown, uh, their first-round pick at one of the receiver spots as well. Um, of course, they've got their plethora of tight ends as well, but I really think that this is going to be um, one of the more run-heavy... I mean, it is going to be the, the most run-heavy team in the league, and how that goes against NFL trends where you're going into more of a passing league, Maybe um, maybe it complements the trend that defenses have been trying to get more lean and slender and quick to keep up with the passing offenses and the and Baltimore is going to find success just pounding those smaller uh, defenders uh, right up the middle. But you talk about a very talented offensive line. The running back committee, like you said, is great. The addition of Mark Ingram is perfect. And Lamar Jackson, uh, what are we going to see out of him? It's going to be a big year. Um, we would love to see an improvement uh, in, in the passing game, but if the, if the goal is to utilize him that much in the run offense, he might not have to be uh, too tremendous as a thrower next season
0: on the defensive side of the ball you lose cj mosley who is was kind of the leader of that defensive unit unit um obviously at the middle linebacker position, making a lot of the calls. He's gone. You bring in not the same position, but Earl Thomas, who figures to be uh, the veteran presence now uh, to kind of guide that defensive unit. He's going into his age 30 season, but coming off a season which he only played four games, obviously had that horrific leg injury, um, but he hasn't had a full healthy season since 2015. Did play 14 games in 2017, to his credits, only missed two. Um, But can he come back uh, to that you know level that we, we were used to seeing out of him as one of the best player defensive players in all of football uh, regardless of position. And can he be that leader despite being in a new locker room? This is obviously the first time he's not in Seattle in his career, a whole new group of guys. And, you know, despite the the, the pedigree that Earl Thomas has, that doesn't necessarily always translate to being able to control a locker room right away, especially one with a bunch of guys you've never met before. Um, so I'm interested to see what that dynamic is like on the, in that locker room for the defense and whether or not Earl Thomas steps up and be that guy. I have that full confidence that he can mm-hmm. do that. Uh, certainly, uh, he has proven that time and time again. Uh, the Legion of Boom would not have been the Legion of Boom without him. You know, I think Richard Sherman got a lot of the hype early on, but he really uh, was you know, a three-time All-Pro player, uh, five-time Pro Bowler, six-time Pro Bowler in his career. I mean, you know, a stud in all regards. I really hope that he turns things uh, around after that injury and is able to play a full season this year, and I think he could be an insanely key cog in that
1: defense. Definitely, and you take a look at their schedule. Um, at the very least, there are six there are six games that I've got on their schedule that they shouldn't lose. So at the very least, um, without the games that you know might be more contested, uh, they start off their season against Miami and Arizona, projected to be two of the worst teams in the league this year. You got two games against Cincinnati, which we just talked about, probably you know in the bottom four or five teams in the league, and then you've got games against the the Bills and the Jets, and those are in weeks fourteen and fifteen. So by that point. You know, the story might be different on both teams depending on how their rookie quarterbacks uh, improve, how, you know, Buffalo's defense looks, how the Jets' offensive weapons have added in. But I think those should be winnable games for Baltimore just because of how uh, consistent on defense they are. So at the very least, those are six games that I think they should walk away with uh, wins. But then you've got tough games against the Chiefs, two against the Steelers and Browns. You play New England, Los Angeles, Rams. Um, It's going to be... Tough sledding at times, but if they can at least secure those uh, those six wins against some of the bottom teams in the league, uh, that should put them in decent shape to to put out an okay season.
0: And my last uh, thing here is is with Lamar Jackson, as receivers. You know, obviously they lose yeah. John Brown, but at the same time, it's not like Lamar Jackson has some kind of golden arm. He wasn't really <laughs> throwing it deep. All that often, so I think you're you're looking for more of receivers who can work in the screen game, work off of slants, uh, because that's going to be Lamar's uh, forte—the RPO type situation where he has to make a quick decision: uh, do I pass or do I run? We're going to be seeing that a lot out of the Ravens this year, and you know, I don't know if I if I necessarily have faith. I mean, Marquise Brown is an exciting option. Uh, coming in this year he has a nickname Hollywood for a reason they draft Miles Boykin in the third um, but Willie Sneed Seth Roberts Chris Moore Jaleel Scott none of those guys really jump out to me as, as necessarily difference makers in that passing game and for a guy like Lamar Jackson who a lot of people are, are thinking he's going to regress this year um, wh- you need good pieces around him and I don't know if necessarily the receiving core is, is built up enough to elevate him to another level now Lamar Jackson was doubted all last year too. All last offseason, he came in and proved people wrong. Did have that rough playoff game for three quarters, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, you know he was a rookie and he still had a great season in his own right. Something that we, you know, most people were not expecting out of him uh, entering the year. So. I'm I'm not going to temper my expectations necessarily as much as maybe a lot of other people are, a lot of other critics have been, Um, but at the same time, I just don't know if the pieces around him, I like the running game, but I don't know about the receiving core. Um, We might just see this team, I mean, you know, run its offense. Uh, like uh, late 90s offense, early yeah. 90s offense, where um, we're just seeing a lot of running the ball, um, short passes, nothing you know, trying to go over the top, because that's just the, just the skill sets of these players. You know, Marquise Brown certainly can uh, take the top off the of defense, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think that this is going to be that this team's forte. Uh, And it's Mm -hmm. going to be a very different team. It was very different last year in the way that it was run, especially on offense. And it's going to be very different again this year. Um, I'm just interested to see after an offseason of of planning, what is John Harbaugh going to do? Because, you know, to his credit, he was on the hot seat last year. Uh, midway through the year, yeah. when Joe Flacco was benched and Lamar Jackson was brought in, and obviously they all go on an insane run with Lamar. Uh, but give a lot of credit to John too for for helping adapt that offense uh, in ways that you know they set an NFL record for the most QB runs in a game uh, in like Lamar Jackson's second start. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty insane uh, for for you know to completely overhaul your game plan. Obviously, you go from one you know pocket quarterback, you know, traditional sense. Uh, tries to throw the ball deep all the time in in Flacco and then you you bring in this dynamic uh, runner in Lamar Jackson who doesn't have an arm uh, and you you see what he can do in in different ways so it was it was very fun to watch and I think this is going to be a competitive team I just don't know if it necessarily has the pieces uh, to go you know shot for shot with the Browns and the Steelers this year.
1: Right, yeah, those those two teams I feel like have a little bit of an edge up on Baltimore. And you talk about you know the tough defenses they have to face with Seattle, New England, Los Angeles. Um, you know, I was I was kind of slacking a little on the Bills, but I do think that'd be a tough game for Baltimore because the Bills are very physical up front. Um, with the Ravens, I've got them. This was one of my tougher um, records to pick out when going through the divisions, and where I ended up with and um, with Baltimore is I just kind of split it right down the middle. I've got them finishing eight and eight. Um, I, I don't know if they'll be able to put out a winning season. Uh, you know, the last two years they went 10-6, and 9-7 and 7 in 2017. I just think with the difficulty of the division, some of those out-of-conference uh, games that they have to play, they take a little bit of a step back. I'm not sure how this offense is going to react. It, it really just depends on how the offense... Uh, is able to to fare against defenses if run heavy offense can still win games in 2019. Um, but I think uh, this Baltimore Ravens team finishes right at 500, eight and eight, third in the division, and doesn't make the postseason.
0: I am going with nine and seven. I think they do take a slight step back after last year, but I think nine and seven is good enough to get in the playoffs. And I am picking them as my uh, second team. Or no, I'm sorry, they are missing the playoffs, going nine and seven uh excuse Mm -hmm. me there's there's a team in the AFC West uh that might have a bone to pick with oh yeah but um nine and seven they're close uh to the postseason uh but I think that this division is just a little bit too tough they're not going to be able to uh necessarily you know take a lot of these games I think they swept the Browns last year um you know Steelers were an up and down team um we we really just didn't see anybody stand out from the pack and, and looking at this division this year it looks like there are a couple teams that aren't just going to stand out in the division but stand out in the afc Mm -hmm. uh, if not the entire nfl so uh, i can't pick the brown or the ravens in my right mind to win this division so i'm going with nine and seven uh taking a slight step back but still a winning year and i still think lamar jackson uh puts together a strong season i just am, am not sure about the pieces around him
1: yeah yeah, certainly. So just to recap my division picks, uh, I've got the Bengals in last place, four and twelve. The Ravens at eight and eight, third place, and then a tie atop the division. I gave the uh, tiebreaker edge to Pittsburgh, but I've got Pittsburgh and Cleveland both making the playoffs at ten and six.
0: And I went at the top of the division, thirteen and three. Uh, sorry, twelve and four uh, for the Browns. Twelve and four for the Steelers. With the Browns winning the. Division, but we have the Steelers making the playoffs, nine and seven for the Ravens, uh, and what did I go four and twelve, three and thirteen? I
1: think three and thirteen, 13 was what you said.
0: Three and thirteen, yes, three and thirteen uh, for the Bengals. Uh, disappointing year for them, but overall, mm-hmm. this is a very intriguing division, one that has a lot of uh, teams in, moving in different directions. And it was funny, I think, at at the at. at the end of the playoffs last year, I think everybody kind of let the dust settle from the NFL and then looked around and was like, wait a minute, are the Browns the favorites now uh, to win the AFC North? And it seemed then as almost a pipe dream, but now, you know, obviously uh, with the Kareem Hunt and Odell Beckham Jr. moves, oh, yeah. uh, since bringing on Freddie Kitchens full-time, it kind of has, makes a lot of sense, uh, in, and I think that's the reality of the NFL that we're in right now. So I'm excited to watch this division unfold uh, mm-hmm. throughout
1: the 2019 season. Definitely. Definitely agree with you.
0: Cool. All right. Well, that's going to do it uh, for our episode today. Don't forget, everybody, follow us on Twitter. I'm at matt Weirich fbb, uh, where you'll find me writing about the Nats and pretty much anything DC Maryland sports. Now, uh, now that I'm with NBC Sports oh, yeah. Washington, going to be throwing some stuff up on there starting next week. Um, so be on the lookout for that, and you can find Blake, the birthday boy, at Blake Andrew oh, yeah. Pace. Uh, where he writes about Colts and Syracuse for SB Nation, Blake. Any final words for the good people?
1: Nah, thanks for listening in. I'm excited to get closer to the football season. Make sure you watch Hard Knocks later this evening, so we can watch all the Antonio Brown drama. That's the one thing we didn't get to talk uh, they're about. They're not going to do much. it, man.
0: They're not going to do it. They're they're going to they're going to chicken yeah. out. I feel they're like they have to have, at least put a little in. They need. They're going to talk about yeah, it, but I don't right. think it, it's just not going to be the drama that we're hoping for, and I'm going to be massively disappointed. That's, right. that's all I'm saying. That's my mm-hmm. prediction. Yeah. All right. Well. Anyway, thank you all again for listening. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Or sorry, to Thursday. <laughs> uh, we'll be continuing on with our series. Are we going NFC South? NFC South. Yes. NFC South. Ooh, that's, oh, that's. will be a fun it'll one. Be day. a fun one. Yeah. All right. I'm excited. All right, right, well, NFC South on Thursday. Blake, thanks again. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.